Hi, this is Brian Horn with Lawn and Landscape Magazine. Thanks for downloading this podcast uh, from the Lawn Care Radio Network. I spoke with Brent Meekham. He is Industry Development Director with the Irrigation Association about some of the legal legal issues facing irrigation contractors today. Uh, these are actually topics he will be uh, discussing at the Florida Water Summer, where uh, we also sort of talked about what he will be addressing at the summit. Here's my conversation with Brent. All right, Brent, uh, thanks for joining me today. Can you talk a little bit about which we'll be talking about at the summit? Um, yeah, the topic I'm going to try and cover at the summit is a lot of the changes that are going on with building codes uh, that are beginning to affect the landscape and irrigation industry. And all of this is kind of part of the um, sustainable movement to make uh, buildings more green, to make the sites more green. And so a lot of different groups who have an opinion on how to make a site more sustainable are starting to craft language that affects how we do irrigation systems. And a lot lot of them will also affect how landscapes are going to be put in. So I'm hoping, you know, in a very brief time to kind of just give an overview of how this is uh, starting to come in and affect the industry, um, specifically some of the Green codes that were created have now been adopted and are moving into plumbing codes. And as an industry, we've always had to abide by the plumbing codes, and specifically it's been about backflow prevention. But a lot of the codes now are starting to say, well, you have to use alternate water supplies for irrigation. And this is where the plumbing code now has got new regulations and new uh, requirements if you're using gray water, rainwater, these other sources of water for irrigation. Is that what you think is the biggest issue uh, with with water, or is there something bigger or, or one that you're hearing that is more challenging for contractors? Well, I quite frankly, I think when you suddenly tell contractors that they can't use potable water, and the word potable has a really broad meaning. It <laughs> means the water that a city treats and delivers to the site, which is been a water source for a number of years that's considered potable and we all get that but they also broaden it to really include fresh water sources so drilling a well is fresh water and that's not going to be considered usable water for irrigation because it's too valuable and the same about pulling water out of a lake or a stream or a pond that's a fresh water source And so, again, the codes are starting to say, well, you can't use that water. It's too valuable for irrigation. Mm -hmm. And I think suddenly when you tell contractors that they can't use those sources of water, which we have traditionally used for years and years, then it gets a lot more complicated because it's like, well, then where do I get water? Right. And so they're pushing us to look at developing on-site water sources, And then trying to figure out, well, how do you capture it? How do you hold it? And then we may have to learn about treating it and filtering it and stuff to make it usable for irrigation. So aside from becoming more educated, what can contractors do to to get out in front of uh, these issues? Well, first of all, they probably need to really uh, start understanding the codes that affect them. And this movement into the uh, plumbing code has been... uh, and kind of suddenly, uh, the Universal Plumbing Code, which a lot of states use or local entities, uh, is the from IAPMO, 
And so the Universal Plumbing Code is used quite a bit. And then the other one that's the International Plumbing Code. So these are two codes that are from competing organizations, and different states, different jurisdictions will adopt one or the other. And then there is a third one called the National Plumbing Standard. And that one is not as prevalently used anymore. And so most areas either have the International Plumbing Code or the Universal Plumbing Code. The Universal Plumbing Code has already adopted the use of gray water, rainwater, and stuff and put that into the code. So if you're in a place that uses that, you need to start researching and understanding that code to see its implications. Uh, for the International Plumbing Code, that adoption will be coming in what they call 2015. So about another year and a half from now, that will be adopted into that code. And the difference between the two codes is the International Plumbing Code gets modified and updated every three years. And the Universal Plumbing Code kind of goes through the same thing, but they can update their code at any time hmm. along the way, and they just make addendums. So it's kind of a moving target right at the moment, and pretty soon they'll all settle out, and they'll be very similar. But you do need to know the uniqueness for each code and how it is applied by your local jurisdiction. So I can say all that, and then ultimately it's the local jurisdiction can take these codes and then make modifications to suit their needs. And that's very common with really large cities mm -hmm. that they will research it and do something like that, and smaller communities don't have the resources to modify it, so they adopt it just the way it is written. I mean, so, so, so as a contractor, your job is getting harder to understand something that you used to just take for granted. Right. <laughs> Well, are these changes good, do you think? I mean, are they going to help with the industry and with the environment? Okay, so that's that's a kind of a loaded question. <laughs> so are they good? From the environmental standpoint, yes, they're great. And the purpose being is that um, freshwater sources are becoming very limited. The demands on them are starting to exceed their ability to supply. And so by moving irrigation off of those sources of water makes them available maybe for what people might perceive a higher purpose, um, life, safety, health kind of criteria. So the alternate water supplies, quite frankly, are very usable for irrigation, and it's probably an appropriate thing to do, but it's going to take some additional skill because suddenly it's like, well, how do I harvest that water? How do I capture it and hold it? and keep it in place until I really need it. And so irrigation systems are going to have to expand their scope into not only putting pipes and sprinklers in the ground to distribute the water, but now to look at, well, how do I capture the water and hold it in a tank or something until it's needed? So places that have a lot of rainfall, like in Florida, mm -hmm. rainwater harvesting is going to be probably the more popular method for looking at alternate water. And rainwater is a great water source. It comes pretty pure, so you don't have a lot of problems with it. I think some of our challenges will be, well, making sure that the storage tank doesn't start to grow and propagate things that are not desirable to be putting on plants. And uh, so I think we'll have a challenge there is learning how to manage a water source that we've never had to deal with before. So from the environmental standpoint, that 
that's a good thing. From a business standpoint, I think the contractors who embrace this concept do their homework, do some research, find the equipment and the materials that they can put in and successfully develop and create a water source for their irrigation systems will become highly successful. It's going to become even more specialized than it has ever been. And uh, so I think contractors who look at that will see an opportunity. Most of us don't like to be pushed out of our comfort zone too much. And so there's going to be some resistance. Now, after I say all that, that is really kind of the future of our industry. I'm not sure too many contractors uh, as of yet have really had to be involved with a building project where they're forced to doing this, and especially if a jurisdiction hasn't adopted it yet. But it is the future, and so the the quicker adoption of it and working with your clients and trying to help them, and water, fresh water, is getting more and more expensive all the time, so suddenly the economics um, make this maybe a viable thing to look at. Do you think the customers are going to, I mean, the contractor will get pushback from the customers on this stuff? And if so, how can they better explain that? Absolutely. So the customer is going to be shocked in the initial uh, because, way, you know, this is suddenly going to cost them a whole lot of money in order to have an irrigation system. It's not just now paying for the irrigation system. He's now paying for a water harvesting system mm-hmm. as well. And so to me, that's there's going to be a lot of pushback. Uh, at the same token, if the city says, well, I'm sorry, but there's no water from us for your irrigation system, mm-hmm. then what is the owner of a building going to do? He's either going to have to say, okay, water is valuable, and I'm going to have to pay this amount of money in order to do it, or he's going to dramatically change what his landscape is going to look like, and it'll have to be a native-type landscape, which may not aesthetically meet his needs. So I think this is going to be a... a a big change in the marketplace so programs like lead you know is driving stuff like this mm-hmm. and so anything that's a on the sustainable initiative the cutting edge uh they're they're changing the marketplace and it's up to us to either get really smart and embrace it and say yeah this is what we're going to have to do or we can try and fight it and resist it but eventually i think we'll be forced into realizing that freshwater sources, drinking water, is just not available for, for uh, landscapes. Now, interestingly, in Florida, you have a lot of municipally reclaimed water that has been developed specifically for irrigation. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, that's not too different than just using potable water because the water is very clean. It's been treated to a certain level. Uh, it's already pressurized and made available to sites. So uh, using that is pretty easy, and, and that's exactly what uh, once, uh, needs to be happening because it's a maybe a lower-value water. Um, however, there's a lot of push and some recent developments and codes that I've just been attending where they're saying even that water is too valuable to be used for irrigation. It's hmm. got too much embedded energy and cleaning it up and making it uh, available to us. And so I've even seen a little bit of talk and action about not prohibiting the use of that for irrigation. And I'm saying, but what about cities that have spent a lot of money developing it specifically for irrigation? You're suddenly trying to tell them it can't be used. 
And this is where cities can take these model codes and change them to suit their needs. But we as a green industry need to be involved in that conversation. So basically, if you're a contractor and you're burying your head in the sand that these changes aren't going to happen, you better wake up because they're happening sooner than later? Yes, they are. And I'm just surprised at how fast it is happening. And it's not just one group. I'm working with three different groups who basically are writing the plumbing codes and the energy codes for all over the United States, as well as LEED, who... You know, has been on the cutting edge and pushing it all along. So, LEED is just now revamping their program. That's LEED version four, and they just had the final vote ended uh, on June thirtieth. The uh, a whole lot of that is you're not going to be using potable water for irrigation, and you're going to be using the EPA water sense water budget tool to figure out how much water is going to be allowed for irrigation which is going to be 70% of ET. So a lot of big changes are coming to our industry. And it, there needs to be this kind of a coordinated effort between the landscape community who is designing and the plant materials they're putting in and the irrigation community who has the responsibility to deliver water to those plants and then figure out how to manage it. And, you know, the, the trend is use less water for irrigation. Mm-hmm. But this definitely sounds like an uh, important time in, in the irrigation field. And, again, you'll be speaking about that at the 2013 Water Summit. Uh, the summit goes on from July 31st to August 2nd, but you'll be speaking that Friday from 1 to 2. Um, Brent, thanks, Correct. A, th- thanks a lot for your time. Was there anything else you wanted to let people know? Uh, no, I don't want to give it all away. <laughs> they got they to got, they show up for something. But, yeah, I look forward to them coming. And, uh, you know, as an industry, we're going to really have to get sharp and show that we are really professional and really responsible about water resources because in the end, the better job we do at that, the more business we will create for ourselves. And and as it gets more complicated, it's the really good people that become really valuable because this will be something that just somebody who has a little bit of interest in it probably is not going to be able to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's great for the industry that we are going to be seen as being more essential and more professional in doing our trade. Absolutely. All right, Brent. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more from Lawn and Landscape.